Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Welcome to another episode of the ISO with myself, your host, Dan Dickow, and SB Live Sports on the Believe Podcast Network. Conversations throughout the world of sports. Today's, I think, is going to be a little unique. It's someone who I've started to follow on social media over the last few months find his posts very interesting, and I, quite frankly, I, I've learned quite a bit uh, about the game of basketball, especially at the college level in following him. The owner, the founder of Hoop Vision, Jordan Sperber. Jordan, how's life? Doing pretty well. Can't complain now that we're five or six days into the season here. Got a big slate of games tonight. Um, so yeah, thank you for having me on too. Yeah, without a doubt. So Really quickly, for some of our listeners who, who may not uh, know about Hoop Vision, uh, give us a little bit more about it. From, from what I know and what I've followed online and social media is essentially your, your video breakdowns, you're talking about analytics and, and teaching people how to understand the game of basketball through those two lenses. Yeah, um, the, our, our little tagline has been watch smarter, watch the game smarter, and that's definitely through the video and the film. Um, but even I, I think that, I think that numbers and analytics can potentially help you watch smarter as well. Um, they, they kind of go hand in hand in a way that maybe some people don't um, totally, totally classify the two sometimes. Uh, but yeah, it's, we focus on college basketball, which I think there's a lot of people doing this type of stuff in the NBA. The NBA has, a pretty big fan base, obviously, but uh, I've been able to kind of carve out my niche as as the college basketball guy, uh, and and that's that's always kind of been my my uh, passion. So you started Hoop Vision after starting to head down the, the coaching path, and I spent a year on the Portland Trailblazers staff myself, and I know how difficult that coaching road is, and it can yeah. be. You spent a, a couple of years as a GA at Nevada under Eric Musselman. You spent some time as a video coordinator. What was it that made you want to break off and do your own thing as opposed to grinding it out uh, as a young coach? Yeah, so I actually started Hoop Vision as a 17-year-old in high school. Um, and that – I, I didn't make any money off it. It wasn't a business. It was a hobby. Um, and that led to the coaching jobs. So I, I always say that Twitter, Twitter got me my two jobs at Nevada and New Mexico State. That's where both the coaches who hired me kind of found me. Um, and and yeah, it was it was definitely a very small following back then, and not something uh, that could have been done um, full time. But what ended up happening was I got a lot of experience in in the coaching world, doing scouting, doing whatever, just kind of learning about college basketball. Um, 
And it, when I decided to make the jump back to Hoovision, I was a lot better <laughs> at what I was doing than without that experience. Um, but yeah, you're absolutely right about kind of the grind of, of coaching. One thing I found particularly hard about it is if you don't know with 100% certainty that you want to be a head coach, that you want to grind it out for 15 to 20 years, it's like, what are you doing? <laughs> uh, you know, it's like you, you really have to know what you want. And I've talked to a lot of people in the industry that kind of have that same thought, but what ends up happening with them is they're, they go five, 10 years down the road and it's like, I got I just got to keep going. Um, and so it, it was, it was a tough decision. And when I made it in the back of my mind, I was thinking, well, if, if hoop vision doesn't work out, it will probably put me in an opportunity to get another job down the road. So it's, you know, not completely closing the door there. Uh, but fortunately it's, it's been going pretty well. You know, you get your start from, in coaching at least, was a GA at Nevada under Eric Musselman. Uh, and you said he kind of found you through the Twitter world, social media. I, I played for Eric Musselman in summer league before my rookie year with the Hawks. He yeah, then yeah. became uh, head coach of the Golden State Warriors right after that. I had him as a guest on, on this podcast a few months back. He's always struck me as somebody that, will leave no stone unturned to prepare for a game. What was it like working for him? Yeah, no, that's exactly right. We, we used to joke that he would ask our athletic trainer, like what, what she thought about, about the, the scouting report or the game plan. You know, he, he would ask anyone in the, in the organization. Um, yeah, that, it was, the, I think, probably the best part about uh, working at Nevada, especially – you know, I was, I was pretty fresh out of college and learning quite a bit about the game. Uh, he, he, uh, you know, and, and the game and also just like the college basketball industry, I guess. And he, everyone within his staff, he's kind of known for having very big staffs. They have, I don't know how many GAs they have at, uh, at Arkansas, but it's a lot. Um, and everyone's in every meeting, you know, that I, I think at a lot of places that's not the case. Um, but everyone's in every meeting. You're not necessarily leading the meeting or, or speaking in the meeting, but you learn so much uh, from, from being included in everything. Uh, and he will, he will consider everything, you know, that you put on his desk or, or whatever. And, and being the, the analytics guy, which is really why I was hired. Uh, that was a, a unique opportunity. I spent a year as a, coach with the Portland Trailblazers that I mentioned. I also spent uh, part of that year scouting college games. So I watched a lot of film. I went and talked to a lot of people. And, and one phrase that I, I came away with in, in looking at the big picture of the game of basketball in evaluating a player or a team is eyes, ears, and numbers. You have to look at the game through your own vision, your own lens. You've got to hear what others are saying about a player or a team. And then you have to dive deep into the numbers. If you had a, a ratio for your philosophy, how would you break those down? Was one more important than the other in your eyes? Yeah, so I, I like that. So, you know, the the ears part, kind of like intel, I think is is what like NBA teams call it. You know, I don't do a lot of that with my current work. It's more of the on the court. You know, I'm not I'm not drafting the player that I'm that I'm breaking down. You know, so so it's a little bit different. Uh, but I, I mean, that's absolutely important for in recruiting at the college level or in drafting at, at the NBA level. Um, but then the the eyes versus the numbers, I, I think that 
the idea that they're kind of uh, in conflict with each other is a little bit misguided. So I always, I always say the first thing I do, or, or one of the first things I do when I go to st uh, start watching film is I want to count things, right? I, I want to start counting how many charges did this guy take or, or whatever, it, you know, it could be a traditional box score thing. It could be something else. If I'm watching ball screen defense, I want to, how many times did they ice? What was, what was the results of that coverage? And so I'm watching film, but my, my instincts are always to start counting. And then on the other hand, if I go on Kempom or a, a stats website and I see numbers and this team is number one in the country at taking away threes, my first instinct is to pull up the film and go watch why they're so good at taking away threes. Uh, and so it kind of plays off of each other you know, statistics is just an accounting of what's going on on the court where statistics can, can um, uh, steer you in the wrong direction is uh, basically taking that number and interpreting it in a way that it shouldn't be interpreted. But that's like the whole numbers don't lie thing. You know, people interpreting numbers lie, uh, but, but numbers are just numbers, you know. That's an interesting way to put it, and I really like that. For a high school coach who might be following some of your video analysis and breakdowns that doesn't have maybe the resources or the time to really kind of look at everything, what would the main emphasis points be that you would steer them to look at? Yeah, so I definitely always recommend starting with the four factors, uh, which when they were created by, by Dean Oliver – um, who's kind of like the the godfather of this basketball analytics movement. And it's shooting, rebounding, turnovers, and free throws. And, you know, there's specific formulas for, for how to calculate those. The big thing is to take pace out of, out of, the, out of how you're measuring. So, like the big example, this was years ago now when Bo Ryan was at Wisconsin, comparing a Bo Ryan Wisconsin team to a Roy Williams UNC team. You want your stats to be pace adjusted. Uh, and I think that high school coaches should probably be doing the same thing with points per possession. And, you know, if you're looking at turnovers, it's not just the raw amount of turnovers you have, but how many, how many possessions, how many opportunities did you have? Uh, and so the way I always look at those four factors is everything flows down to them. So there's other things in basketball that, that are obviously important. Hustle, chemistry, Passing, passing isn't a four factor, but those things all show up eventually in your shooting, in your turnovers, in your rebounds, and in your free throws. So it's like the bottom of the balance sheet. And so as a coach, especially if you don't have, have the resources to, you know, have an NBA analytics staff, it's, it's mostly just thinking, okay, if, if I'm going to start denying on defense or if I'm going to play in the gap, how is this going to affect those, those four different things and kind of thinking it through as a guideline like that? How about the video breakdowns that you do now? When, when you come up with a, a thought like, hey, I want to break down this player or I want to break down this team, do you have kind of preferences like, hey, I like this coach or this program. I want to spotlight them, highlight them in a positive way. Or do you look at it kind of more as a neutral lens? So I do try to treat it as – something like journalism or, or reporting, you know, like I, 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 there's a certain like integrity involved in, in trying to cover the sport. 
that being said, you are pretty heavily incentivized to cover the best teams, you know, because they have the biggest followings. Positivity, I've found, you know, a video that's something very good is probably going to do better in terms of likes and retweets and that type of thing, as opposed to um, being critical. Uh, but, you know, sometimes a one-off tweet that I do will lead to a more in-depth or nuanced piece. Uh, that's kind of, I think, one of the things that, that um, Hoop Vision does best that it's become is everything has trade-offs. And there's like no strategic decision in basketball that, that doesn't have positives and negatives. And so, especially in our newsletter, I think that's what, it's, what, it, what it kind of evolves into. Here's why it's good. Here's why it's bad. And, and evaluating everything. College basketball season is only about a week old. Uh, you've already had some, some good articles up, some good breakdowns, some, some good analysis. Do you have a favorite early in the season so far? I haven't seen Baylor enough yet, um, and I think that Baylor is going to be really good. Uh, but, but, yeah, I, I think that Gonzaga and Baylor were, were the, the two teams. I guess Vill Villanova, you could probably group in there, too, going into the season um, that had the highest expectations. And Gonzaga has certainly – they've raised their stock, you know, in, in these first couple of games. Uh, I have a little bit of, of concern with them defensively, a little bit. Um, but I, I – uh, I'm pretty high on them, and I, obviously they they play Baylor here uh, on Saturday. I think so. That'll be that'll be an interesting game. Um, but I actually think it's a it's a pretty strong year. Uh, the at the top of the sport, it's stronger than it was last year. So that's good. I would agree. I thought last year there was maybe ten, twelve teams that you could legitimately set at a at a, a shot at the Final Four. And if they peaked during that weekend, they could have won uh, the national title, Gonzaga included. But I do mm -hmm. like the call of Baylor and, and Gonzaga. I'm looking forward to that game as well. Um, many high school coaches, as I mentioned, listen to this podcast. How can they follow your breakdowns on, on social media as well as you mentioned a newsletter? Um, mm -hmm. How can they get more information about how you view the game and, and your breakdowns? Yeah, Twitter is probably the, the easiest way. It's at HoopVision68 on Twitter. And really anything that I do, whether it's a YouTube video or a podcast or whatever, I'll, I'll tweet out through that. Um, and then our newsletter is, is in my Twitter bio there. It's, it's HoopVision.Substack.com. Um, and we do a, a free newsletter every, every Friday um, that, uh, that goes out um, uh, Friday afternoons and kind of breaks down what happened in that previous week of college basketball and, and looks ahead towards the weekend. Uh, so we're definitely, we're definitely uh, heating up right now with, with a lot of games going on. You're, you're much younger than I am. And when I looked through your social media profile and kind of looked at, uh, took a deeper dive at some of the breakdowns um, that you've done, you go back into the, the late 80s and the 90s and break down some games how do you differentiate the style of play from back then till now? Because, I mean, you, you're talking blocker mover offense. You're talking flex offense. Now, I mean, a lot of guard teams like Villanova are going to play five guards at times. Most teams play four guards. Does that skew your, your uh, 
view of breakdowns and, and what, what do you get in, do you like breaking down those older games? I do. Um, I, so it's interesting. There's a segment of coaches and this is right to an extent, you know, you hear about Dean Smith was, was uh, tracking possessions and he was doing points for possession and like kind of early analytics type stuff. And so there's a segment of coaches that say, you know, we were always doing this stuff, you know, and kind of like downplaying the, the influence that analytics has had. But then you go watch a game from, from the 80s or whatever, and it's just a different sport. I mean, it just is. The thing with college basketball is there's so many Division I teams that there were teams of the 353 teams or however many there were in the 80s, there were teams that were playing five out or four out. For sure, when you have 350, you know, the Princeton offense, um, which is uh, one of the reasons why it's stuck so much in recent years, it was way ahead of its time in in terms of spacing. Um, I mean, it's five out at times when the big when the big pops out. Um, But so you can find the exceptions for sure. But the average the average team from 20 years ago, 30 years ago. I mean, just with how they spaced in the corner alone, you know, like the the Spurs became known for the corner threes. It's like five years before that, they were spacing just like a step beyond the dunker spot. Like that was a, that was a change under, under uh, Popovich. And so, yeah, that, uh, I I do find that pretty fun to, to compare and contrast, um, and it's, you know, I think we, people tend to glorify the past a little bit. So it's, it's interesting to, like, actually see what was going on. Well, I love how you mentioned the Princeton offense because uh, I had a lot of success in that offense in the NBA playing under Byron Scott, who learned it from the godfather of Princeton offense, Pete Carroll. Yep. Last question, Jordan. You, you're doing a tremendous job with these breakdowns and the, is the analytics of the game. What, what's your goals? What are your end game? Would you like to be back on a college coaching staff? Would you like to be in front office of an NBA uh, running an analytics department? Um, where's your passion lie? So from kind of a young age, my, my goal or has always been very broad. It was, it was to make a decent living working in basketball. It was, you know, it wasn't necessarily like I hear a lot of coaches talk about, how dedicated they've been to wanting to be a head coach from, from such a young age. And, and, uh, and I, I always wanted to work in basketball, but it it was never very specific, I guess. Um, The the thing that I, that has kind of kept me away from, from pursuing the NBA or the NBA front office is my least, I, I, I pretty, pretty much love everything about basketball, but my least favorite thing is player evaluation. And, and, and that type of stuff. And that's really what the NBA, an NBA front, I mean, the coaches coach and some organizations uh, fuse the front office and the coaching staff more than others. Uh, but I just, just straight up, uh, I mean, we would call it recruiting in, in, in the college world or scouting in, in the uh, NBA world. That's not really where my passion lies. It's more of the encore X's and O's and then how the players fit within that, obviously. Uh, and so with Hoop Vision right now, I do get to do a lot of that. I, I, do, I would like to coach a team, um, but that, it doesn't necessarily have to be at the highest levels. You know, I, I think that a long-term goal for me with Hoop Vision is to have it in a spot 
where I can coach an AAU or a high school team or something like that right now, it's not really possible because there's so much work that needs to be done during, during the college basketball season. Um, but yeah, uh, I, 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 if you ask me that question a year from now, it could be totally different though. So. <laughs> <laughs> hey, trust me, I, I, I'm already in my forties and, and that change, that answer would change for me uh, even to this day. So uh, Jordan, I appreciate your time. I, I appreciate the breakdown of, of how you look at video, how you use analytics. I will continue to follow uh, all of your stuff as I prepare for my games that are broadcast throughout college basketball this season. And uh, thanks again for joining. Thank you for having me, Dan. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit